As a parent or caregiver, when you feel there's not much left in the tank, this is what we're going to be looking at today, some strategies to cope with the demands of raising children. Clinical psychologist Karen Nimmo is with us. We're talking about burnout and how to parent to the best of your ability when energy is lacking. Uh, Kia ora, Karen. Great to have you with us. Kia ora, Catherine. Uh, it's a word that's often applied to the workplace. Really interesting. Of course, we can't divide our lives up like that. If we're burnt out, we're burnt out. Um, and equally, parenting, uh, an environment where this can happen. And how would you define it, I guess? Well, burnout, you're right, is traditionally the term for chronic work stress. So there are three key indicators of that, which are um, the physical and mental exhaustion, feeling negative and detached, a little bit detached from life, and also that sense of failure. So maybe that you're failing on all fronts. Uh, burnout comes on quite slowly and it looks like um, mild depression. The symptoms are a little bit like that. And obviously it can show up in other areas of life, one of which be, is you know, relationships and another key one is parenting. Typically, how do we respond physically, mentally, emotionally to burnout? That phrase, not much in the tank, is a good description, isn't it? You just, the, the wick is pretty short every time you light the candle. The wick is short. That's a good description. I think, I mean, what I'd say is we're seeing a lot of burnt out parents. Parental exhaustion is nothing new. It's been around since the beginning of time. But but since COVID and the three years of that and working from home and all the weather events and the endless disruptions to school and things, the unsettled world, you're seeing more and more people coming in with um, describing symptoms of burnout. They wouldn't come in saying, I'm burnt out as a parent per se. But when you talk to them, you see that a lot of their stress and fatigue is largely coming from the home front. And what you're watching out for as a psychologist is that perfect storm where parenting issues clash with work issues, perhaps with some relationship niggles, and then it all starts to get on top of you and become too much. So how does it present in a home environment in a relationship environment at work we get it you you know you're, you're kind of disconnected um holiday you come back from holiday and it's not just a temporary blues when you get back um you're not really connected to what's going on with workmates and you're not really connected to your job I, I get that so when it's in the parenting context or the home context what are the symptoms uh yeah okay so i mean i think just for context when you when you have kids everybody tells you how much you're going to love them. No one really prepares you for how much you're going to worry about them. And that's a thing that never fully goes away. You know, as I once naively hoped it would end when they turned 18, it does not. Uh, my kids are adults now and your heart still races every time you get one of those phone calls. So it's it's a long gig. Um, what happens is over time is the worry, there's the relentless nature of parenting and all the issues that go with it. And then there's juggling, trying to fit everything into your life. So it shows up as um, burnt out parents would be running on autopilot. They're exhausted, they're low on energy, they're more irritable, which has implications for relationships, more emotionally reactive, which obviously has implications for everything, no fun, lost their spark, more sensitive, and the usual coping strategies don't work. So the things that you would normally try to make yourself feel better just don't have any impact. So when you, you hit that tank and you reach in, it's bone dry. And that's when you that's when you can call yourself burnt out. Okay. So are there times in parenting life when you're more vulnerable obviously this is individual obviously it's linked to what's going on in other areas of life but there are times when the pressures accumulate the multiple sources of pressure accumulate 
Absolutely. Um, you're right, it's it's individual, but we can look for hotspots. So there are things like if you have a history of mental health issues um, previously, that's that's one vulnerability. Obviously, the newborn stage when you're adjusting to being parents, um, relationship problems or going through a breakup, that can be tough. Sole parenting, huge, and blended families, that's um, those are big stresses. And the sandwich generation, um, when you are trying to parent kids and look after elderly parents, you're often midstream in your career, um, and they all come together and uh, can make it really tough. I was talking to a friend the other night who said, who was reflecting and said, you know what, I could have done better through those 10 years. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, I could have worked less. But the reality was she couldn't. She needed the money. She was in her trying to climb in her career. She had an elderly mother, a new relationship. The money was a real issue. Um, and so we find ourselves really squeezed. And the other time when you can be vulnerable is when you have other stress in your life, like um, work issues. So you're overwhelmed at work, and that obviously feeds back into your domestic life. If you're burned out at work, you've got an option, potentially, which is I'm taking a break from work or I'm changing jobs. Um, a little bit more challenging when it comes to your offspring, Karen. <laughs> so so where do we start oh. with, with ways to cope? So true. Poor pay, no holidays. It's, it's fairly relentless. Um, I think we often worry then that when we're burnt out, we will be a bad parent. But if you if you go with the principle, the psychological principle of cognitive dissonance, then it tells us that it is possible to be both. And I think that's quite comforting. You can be stressed and exhausted and still a sound parent. And if you think about it, people who are feeling fantastic about themselves are not necessarily great parents. So the first thing to know is if you are really struggling, it doesn't mean that you are a dreadful parent. The second thing is um, there's some old research, which I really love and call upon because, it again, it's comforting. And it suggests that you only have to be a good parent 30% of the time to raise well-adjusted kids. And it says that a third of the time we're perfectly in tune with our kids and doing well a third of the time we're trying still trying to figure them out and a third of the time we don't have a clue and I think every parent spends a fair bit of time in that latter camp we really don't know what we're doing um, we and so we have to take the pressure off and tell ourselves that we only have to be good enough imperfect parenting is fine as long as you keep them loved uh, as you love them and you keep them safe emotionally and physically, then that's the main job. The parallel again might be the work to rule, you know, the quiet quitting thing that's going on in the workplace. Um, is there a work to rule that can work for parenting in some ways, which is you just might, uh, is it possible just to pull in some of what is of what is going on or is it more, as you say, you're thinking about how things are going, where you give yourself a break? I think you have to. I mean, we are, as parents, often really tough on ourselves. There's an awful lot of guilt in parenting and, and really putting a lot of self-imposed pressure on to do the right thing and to give our kids the, the very best start. And that begins way back with breastfeeding and goes all the way through until, you know, they're getting jobs. So um, it's a really long gig. And I think we could first be kind to ourselves. There's a whole lot of um, information, a deluge of it out there is telling us what to do to our, with our kids and how to speak to them and all that. But there's not much that actually tells us how to look after ourselves. And I think that would be, uh, that is really useful. I mean, I don't work with young kids or anything, but I've looked into the eyes of many, many distressed parents over the years. And I 
I really feel for them because it is so hard, so long and often so lonely. Um, and people who are doing it on their own, all, all credit to them because it's a tough, tough job. Well, let's look at some of what we can do um, and, and begin at the beginning. And, and I think another thing of parenting is that you think you always have to be the strong one and you think you, always, you, you, you can risk feeling like you have to convey a level of perfection. Uh, are there times, to be honest with kids and with other members of the family and with friends, that actually you're not at your best, um, that you actually are under a bit of pressure? And, and if so, how can you communicate that? I think we have to be honest because um, half the time it's very obvious. I think it's it's fine to let your kids know that you're going through some emotional difficulties as long as, and to show emotion to them, as long as it's not a rolling stone. So as long as it's not constant, um, kids should not have to be your rock. And no inverse parenting, right? We're, we're not talking about that. Know, yeah. Yeah. I sometimes uh, have clients saying, oh, my daughter was, you know, my rock through that. And I think, oh, really? I mean, should she be your rock? And does she want to be your rock? That's that's not how it should be. But having said that, you are allowed to express some genuine emotion because it teaches kids that it's it's fine to be vulnerable and sad and tired. So just tell them, just say, I need a little bit of space. If they're young kids, you can ask them for suggestions about how they could, how you could um, get get a break. If they're older kids, it's good to ask them to help you in specific ways. Now, sometimes, as we know, teenagers are notoriously difficult and they'll just say no to, um, can you please make me a coffee? If they do say no, then you say, well, I'll make myself a coffee and then please give me a break while I drink this in peace. I think we can we can set boundaries with kids too. We often uh, rush to act as first responders every time there's an issue. And, um, you know, kids will often, they'll be fine to get through the morning without you texting them back or or being at their beck and call. Sometimes we have to show a little bit of self-love in order to do the job well. Karen, it doesn't need to be particularly sophisticated. You don't need to give an elaborate and and deliberate description, but sometimes they just want to know what's going on with you. You know, Uh, if you're snappy or, and think about this with teens in particular, you know, why is mum being such a, you know, the word. Um, And sometimes just a short, brief explanation might get through the ears and they go, oh, okay. Whether or not they say anything wise back or change their behaviour is another thing, but at least they get an, an idea that there's a reason. I think so. I think you're right. A short explanation is great. Um, Teenagers are notoriously self-oriented, shall we say, and uh, sometimes your issues are not going to break through that shell. So, But I think you still can offer up an explanation for what's going on, and some kids will be really responsive to that. They'll go, oh, okay, well, well, therefore, you know, that explains that. But, But sometimes I think we have to accept that that falls on um, ears that uh, are not too open to listening. There's a reason they're like that. They need to be, um, but they are like that. <laughs> um, and they do need to be, right? It's a stage of development. They need to focus on this enormous explosion of what's happening for them. Um, yeah, let, let, I think let, our emotions are intense at the time. They they go through really intense emotions, yeah. and I think that's half, yeah. half the battle. Now let's look at stepping back. Can you take the foot off as best you can, and should you? And do you need to park the guilt and stop trying to be the perfect parent who's going to, you know, volunteer for everything going and, and, and be everywhere, as you say, every every day or every week. Is it vital to cut yourself some time and space somehow and, and manage the guilt? 
with burnout, if you want to sort of recover and get through it, you have to. There's, there's no, um, you have to at least make a change. And with parenting, as you just said, it's really difficult to uh, get that break. I mean, it's just coming at you in every direction. So I think you can start by dialing back your expectations. For example, kids' activities, um, give yourself permission to do as little as possible. Um, and also to not offer them as many opportunities as you might might like to. When kids show up as adults in therapy, they never talk about how many cool activities they did. They never talk about what holidays they had. They don't care how many dinner parties mum and dad had. They only remember the vibe in the house, who they got on with and who showed an interest in them. So I think we sometimes we throw an awful lot at parenting in order to do the very best by our kids when it's just not necessary. We can we can dial it back. Is the, the other thing is... Oh, go ahead. No, no, go, go ahead. Well, no, you hit the other thing. People want to hear that. Well, the other thing is, I think, sometimes when you're burnt out, there's a lot going on in your head. There's a lot of mental confusion, and that's one of the, I suppose, hallmark symptoms. So instead of immediately trying to address that, as we often do, uh, the best thing is to focus on your body, to look after yourself physically. When we are stressed and, and looking after everybody else, we often neglect our diet, our exercise, things like that. So to put some focus back on your own physical health is a really useful first step. It's a great starting point to do something physical. It will also help the mental and emotional, but it, it, it is doing something that is positive and constructive. As you say, when you can't necessarily stop the um, circular recording that's going on and on in your head, that takes time. Mm -hmm. That does take time. I mean, uh, and sometimes it's related to other things too, work and those sorts of issues. So I think start by making sure you lay down some routines around your own physical health. And that's often, if you look at it, people will, clients will all the time say, look, my eating's gone out the window. I've got no time for exercise. I've got no time for myself. I can't see my friends. Those things actually make a really big difference to your the way you feel about yourself mentally and emotionally. So they need to be put to the top of the list. Yeah, but it's gentle. It's going for walks. It's not suddenly signing up for an F45 course, right? <laughs> well, not unless you're that kind of person. Fair I enough, think, so. fair enough. Okay. Uh, don't rush, rush to make a plan. I think this is really wise as well. Um, you, you've got you've to clear your head before you can do the reconstruction, right? Yeah, uh, often when we're burnt out we and we do take a break, you see this in a work situation more actually, people take a break, they step back from their job or they change things and then the questions come from well-meaning friends and family, what are you going to do next, what's your plan, What? and you feel sort of guilty and don't know how to fill the space and struggle with all that downtime, so you have to cut yourself some slack and think, you know what, I just need to rest at the moment. I need need to watch some Netflix. I need to chill out. And slowly you, you do recover from burnout. That's the cool thing. It's generally temporary as long as you are sensible, acknowledge it, and make some small, sensible changes. I think, um, yeah, th there's a lot of hope on the end of burnout. If you leave it, if you go into denial and it turns into depression, then you're dealing with something else together. Talking can work for some people, just being able to talk things through with someone they know and trust uh, because again it, it's a process for helping organise those scrambled thoughts. But is there a time to get professional help if you really feel like you are on that, that edge as you say of it becoming um, a, a, a serious, very serious situation? 
Absolutely. Professional help, as we know, can can make the world of difference. But as we all know, in this environment, there are not enough therapists. Uh, it, sometimes it's inaccessible because of the cost, time factors, people are pressured. So you have to do what you can for yourself first. Um, professional help, I mean, of course, I would say this, but <laughs> can be a wonderful thing. And so can medication. It can be, I've seen it help many, many people. But I think also don't just rely on those things. Actually put the building blocks in place first that, that you can be responsible for yourself. And also probably just really try not to beat yourself up if you're feeling like you're failing because life is long and um, you there will be some good times ahead as a parent. They do come. I love that number. 30% of the time be a good parent and you're doing fine. Stop. Isn't, it, isn't it relaxing? It's freeing. <laughs> And it's undoubtedly true. Thank you very much, Karen Nimmo, a clinical psychologist.